Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday Thanks. As I've said before, we will go to the ends of the earth to find you interesting leaders, and today is no exception. I am so very excited to be joined today by Marcus Reinders, CEO of New Zealand Hotel Holdings. New Zealand Hotel Holdings is a partnership formed in 2019 to facilitate investments in tourism assets in New Zealand. The partnership comprises of the New Zealand Superfund, the Russell Property Group, and the Lockwood Property Group. The partnership currently has investments in seven hotels in major cities of New Zealand. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Hey, great to be here, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's a great pleasure to see you again. We have not seen each other for I don't even know how many years, and but following your career has been fun. It's truly a global career for sure, and we'll get into that. But Let's go back to the very beginning, like I always do. And how did you get interested in the hotel business or the hospitality field as a young guy growing up in New Zealand? Yeah, no, thanks, Brian. It's what's a pretty interesting question, really. I suppose it was a long time ago. But, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, my parents had a little store. And we, we grew up in in really small town, New Zealand. There was no hotels there, hotels like we know them. And we used to go on these buying fairs once a year when we'd go to a major city like Auckland or Wellington, and we'd stay in a hotel, which was probably the equivalent of a, a holiday inn or something like that. But for me, it was amazing. And I really, really just enjoyed being in that environment. And I'd go wandering off probably in places that I shouldn't go in the hotel. And I remember one time I went into a kitchen and I must have been, I don't know, maybe 11, 12 years old, something like that. And instead of kicking me out of there, the chef took me through the kitchen and toured me through the whole back of house. And for me, it was just an amazing experience. And I knew probably at the age of yeah, 12, 13, that I wanted to be in hotels. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> and so from there, did you go, I know you graduated from the University of South Australia. Was that a hospitality degree that you went into or just plain business? It was a business degree. You know what? That was actually later on, Brian. I, I finished high school and went straight to work into hotels. So I had my 18th birthday at the Sheraton Auckland Hotel. I started there about a week before my birthday. And I didn't do my university until mid-20s. And yeah, so I was straight into it. Oh, well, that's great. So you started off and then you went to school. So what was the first gig at the Sheraton Auckland? I was a houseman, public areas cleaner extraordinaire. That was me. Oh, wow. And how long were you there for before you moved on? Yeah. 
you know, it was, I actually really, you know, hated the job, but everyone said stick with it. So, so about a year into it, I got promoted to the bell desk and I became a bellman. But at that particular hotel, I guess you could say I grew up in that hotel. I was there probably nine years in various roles. Really? But uh, yeah, it was wow. interesting actually, all sorts of roles. And then did you get into a management position in that property? I did. I did. So after I was a bellman, I became a butler and then I became a security officer. And I'm thinking back now, gosh, so then my first, I guess, sort of semi-management position was an assistant bar manager um, in that hotel. There was a bar called Someplace Else Bar and, and I was uh, working in there for a few years and then went into banquets and I was assistant banquet manager. And that's kind of where it really took off from there, I guess. That is awesome. And then at, at what point did you say, this is a lot of fun, great job, but I got to go to school at some point. Well, it was always a lot of fun from the very start. start. Yeah. It was probably too much fun, to be honest with you. But no, I think it was probably around the time that I, I got my first management role, which was banquet manager. And I realized there were some things that I just didn't, I was struggling with, you know, in terms of financial acumen, that type of thing. So I thought, you know what, I, I need to, I need to learn how to do this properly. And so I started doing a degree part-time and I was attending class sort of once a week and in person and the rest was sort of done online. And I did that over a period of about three or four years. I think it was the longest degree ever, but, but it was good. And, and I think what really helped me was I could apply what I was learning. And I think it made a big difference. And so you didn't go away to school. You did it while you were living in Auckland. In Australia, when I moved to Australia after. Oh, when you moved to Australia. And so what was the first, now, again, for my listener in Topeka, Kansas, you know, we're talking to Marcus. <laughs> He's currently in Auckland, New Zealand. So I know it's another part of the world. Is it a big jump for New Zealanders to head over to Australia? Or is it just something that people do naturally because of the size of the countries? Yeah, look, I think it was a lot more common probably when I was growing up, when I was, you know, at that age, it's still, it's still fairly common, but New Zealand has sort of grown as well. So there's a lot more opportunity in New Zealand, but a lot of Kiwis went across to Australia because that's where the opportunities were. And in my case, there was a lot more, you know, hotel opportunities and, and, you know, it just sort of made sense to do that. Yeah. That was the same with me. I mean, I love Canada and Montreal is a great city to be from, but you know, the opportunities in Canada in the hotel business back in the early 80s was kind of limited. And, it, you know, there was just so much to do down here. I just did everything in my power to get down here. And luckily, you know, through ITT Sheraton, I was able to do that. But so you're over in Australia now. You're in the big city. You're in Sydney, hotbed of coolness, beaches, sun, everything. And if I remember correctly... You were at the W Sydney, right? For a while? I was. You know, the reason why I moved to Australia was quite an interesting story, actually. I did a stint with Hyatt in New Zealand. I, I'd left Sheraton after nine years, like I said, and did two years as banquet manager there. And they put me on their executive training program. And the day that I graduated from it, I resigned, which they weren't too happy about because there was a guy from Hyatt who had left and started his own restaurant development company in, in Sydney. And he convinced me that that's where I needed to be. And I came across and did that. So I was doing restaurant design development for yeah probably maybe a year and a half, two years. And then W in Sydney was opening. And I, I just knew I needed to get back in a hotel. So I've been following the success of W in US with Barry and, and doing what he was doing and really challenging the norm. And it just seemed like the right place for me to be. And 
I, I went in there and I said, I want to be the F&B manager. And luckily the, the GM at the time said, yeah, okay, we need one. And, and there it was. So I was at W Sydney probably for <clears throat> about a year and a half. And some of these, some of these cool guys from W came over from the US and said, Hey, we need him in the US. So I got transferred to San Francisco from there. Well, that's what I was going to ask because you went directly from Sydney mm. to San Francisco at the W in San Francisco. And how did that all come about that they, you know, cause getting, you know, sponsoring you, I guess, for work papers and all that kind of stuff to come into the States. How did that come about? I guess I was very lucky, you know, back then it was, is even more difficult. It was no one ever transferred from, you know, New Zealand, Australia to the United States. So I must've been doing something right or managing up well, or being a good drinking partner or something like that. But these guys had some faith in me and they, they brought me across to, to San Francisco to WW there. And I was the F&B director at that hotel to start with. Yeah. Yeah. So was that the W corporate guys that came down to see in Sydney or were there some mm -hmm. property guys? No, it was a W corporate guy and he came down and saw what I was doing, thought that what I was doing was good and then said, you know, if you could do the same in San Francisco, that would be great. So that's how it happened. I mean, the process took a little while to get the visas organized and whatnot, but it was much smoother than I thought it would be, the transition. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the, the synergy between Sydney and San Francisco is quite cool. They're very similar in a lot of ways. And had that ever, had that always been an idea of yours to get to the States? Like for me, it was everything, right? I almost picked the hotel business because I knew that's a good way to get in the States because there's hotels all over the place. But was that something you had had interest in as, you know, growing up and through the industry as you were going? Totally. It was, I think it was probably when I started at Sheraton, right in those early days, I'm like, wow, I, I want to be in America. I want to live there. I want to, you know, it, it just felt like a place that I wanted to be. So it was a bit of a dream come true when I got that opportunity to move there so quickly. Now, had you ever visited the States on vacation or anything as a young guy? So you kind of knew a little bit about it? I did. I'd been across for a while. And funny story, you know, when we opened W Sydney, we had no idea if we're on the right track or not, because we're the only international W. And at the time, there was only three or four Ws open in the United States. And so we, we had no idea if we were doing the right thing or not. We, we were just, you know, stringing along there. So I self-funded a trip to the U.S. and I went to visit every single W that was there. And the good news was we were doing it okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, obviously. Um, but, but, but when I was there, you know, it was great to see these properties and, you know, met some great people who I, I'm still in touch with today. And uh, yeah, so I, I'd been and, and had a look and, and I knew that's exactly where I wanted to be. So. Yeah, because some of those early W's were pretty rough. I mean, like, remember the Tuscany and the core? Those were yeah. not W's in my mind. I mean, they had the W on the building, but nowhere yeah. near the experience. There was some, some interesting ones. Yeah, there was the two in Chicago. There was uh, Court Tuscany. Yeah, all over New Orleans. Um, and then there was a bunch back then. Seattle, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Well, I'm jealous because, I mean, the one thing I had always wanted to do, if I have a regret, I don't have many regrets in life, but being Canadian, Australia and Canada are part of the Commonwealth. So in theory, it's very easy to go back and forth between Canada and Australia working. And as a young single guy, I was so focused on the States that I missed out on an opportunity to go to Australia. And I've never been, I still have yet to be, but I've always regretted the fact that as a young single guy, I could have gone there for a couple of years and experienced and then come back and everything. But I was so focused on getting in the States. I'm just, I'm just stupid. So I mean, that's the one regret I have is not getting down there. But so you well, came still, the other way. There's still an opportunity, Brian. You can still come across and play there some is. golf. 
But um, <laughs> but you know what? I, I, it was a lot easier back then. I don't know if it still is for, for people in the Commonwealth or not, but I remember I took like six months off and I came to Canada actually early on and, and had a great time there and, and traveled throughout the country you know, all the way from Vancouver to Saskatchewan and everywhere in between. So yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So now you come over, you're in San Francisco, you're at the W San Francisco. You came on as the director of food and beverage. You work your way up to director of ops, I think. How was that whole experience? Was there a marked difference between how they were operating in Sydney versus how they were operating in San Francisco, or is it pretty much just the same with different accents? It was way busier. My goodness, that hotel was, I think to this day, still one of the busiest hotels I've worked in. I forget what we ran that first year that I was there, but it was sort of the last couple of years of the dot-com boom mm-hmm. and you know, being catty corner to, to the Moscone Center. It was just, it was just so busy. And, and, you know, if you have any listeners that were working there at the time, they'll know what I mean, but it was, it was full on and we must've run close to 90% for the full year. And, and uh, so it was great. It was a good experience working really, really hard. We played hard too, but it was a great hotel in terms of, you know, a good mix between business and leisure. And, you know, it had a lot of F&B opportunity there as well. So it was, it was a great, great hotel. Yeah. Yeah. We enjoyed yeah, it. We, I took my wife and daughters there. This is a sad story, but it's sad, funny, not a funny, haha, but funny. Oh, so I take my wife and my daughters and Kaylee and Emily were probably like four and six or something. And we're having breakfast in the, what was it? Not the XYZ. What was the name of the restaurant there? Yeah, it used to be. It, it used, used to be. be. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it's called now. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So we were sitting there having breakfast and, you know, my wife has heard all these stories, you know, because opening W's and all this kind of stuff, all the stuff about W's. And she kind of looks around the room and she goes, Brian, you realize we're the youngest people in here, right? And she says, I thought this was like a young, and it was, I forget which convention was going on at Moscone, but average age in the place was like 60. So I forget what it was. Must've been like a AARP meeting or something. <laughs> she said, I thought this was supposed to be a hip, cool place. And she said, we're the youngest people in here. Yeah, uh, it was it's interesting. I mean, it all depend on what was on at the convention center, I guess, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, it was, it was an interesting mix of people. That's for sure. Yeah, we definitely picked the wrong weekend to go there to impress her. But so, all right. So we're at San Francisco. What's the next W you go to? Yeah. So from there, I got my first GM role, which was pretty amazing that they, they trusted me with, with a 400 plus room hotel in New Orleans. So I transferred to New Orleans in March 2005 and Hurricane Katrina hits in August 2005. So oh, my first GM job was a bit of a baptism by fire. I tell you that it was pretty crazy. How? Because we didn't have that hotel that long, did we? I don't think. You know, it was an old hotel. I think it was like a yeah. Crown Plaza or something like that. It was built during the World's Fair, so it was a pretty cheaply constructed hotel. And we slapped a W on that. Oh, no, it was a few years before. I think it was probably late 90s or something like that. I think I was the second or third GM there. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's your first time as a GM. Any yeah. any weird lessons, any weird things that, you know, came as a surprise as being a general manager? I was super nervous and I, I was, you know, the things when, when you're a director of ops, you don't have a lot of exposure to like sales and marketing and, and, you know, stuff like that. So that's where I was sort of worried, you know, how people are going to accept me. And, I, you know, I think if, if I had to impart any advice to anyone that was in this position and moving into a GM role, I would say, you know, just believe in yourself, you know, and, and I, I think, you know, once, once I was there and I, I got involved and, 
you know, met the people and, and we had a great time and it was a really, really cool property. And again, still some great people that I'm connected to as a result of that. But yeah, the, the Hurricane Katrina bit was was a bit weird and probably <clears throat> without going into too much detail, because I think it's a probably a whole other episode. It was pretty tough. I, I think it really gave me a, you know, gave me an idea of, of people, you know, what they do and how they think under pressure and motivation behind some of the decisions. I mean, it was a little easier for me because I had sort of no emotional connection to New Orleans yet. You know, it was, mm-hmm. I was just there. So, and you know, I'm fairly strategic and process driven. So, you know, you pull out the manuals and you bang through them and, and get it done. And, you know, the, the night of the storm, we had about 650 people staying in the hotel because the airports closed and they all came back. So that was tough, but I'm proud to say, you know, the team that I had there did an amazing job. And we managed to get everyone, every single person out of New Orleans safely. We didn't have any incidents or thankfully loss of life. It was a truly, truly cool team. I'm very, very proud of them. Still in touch with a few of them today, actually. Yeah. I mean, you really create some lifelong bonds to people during those. Mm. I've never been through a hurricane. I've been through earthquake disasters and other stuff. I've never luckily been through a hurricane, but that's got to be tough. So speaking of emotional connections and the hurricane, so you're in New Orleans. I'm assuming I may be wrong. Your family's back in New Zealand. No, they were actually with me. I didn't have a child then. Uh, It was just my wife and I. And uh, and she, uh, I got her out and she went to Atlanta. Okay. A lot of people went and I stayed in New Orleans, which was yeah, it was a pretty crazy experience afterwards. Just, there was like 10 of us left at the hotel just to sort of protect the asset and keep things ticking over. But I think that week after the storm was probably scarier than the storm, to be honest. There was, you know, there was no law and order and it was a free-for-all and it was, it was a pretty dangerous place to be for a week. So when, you know, when the military finally rocked in on that on that Friday afternoon, it was just sort of this big sigh of relief. Finally, you know, people are here to take care of us, but it was a pretty crazy time. Yeah, because I remember back to the Northridge earthquake. I was living in Sherman Oaks and our house caved in and we had all kinds of problems and we couldn't communicate with our family. It took us days to get word out to our parents and everything that we were fine and we were safe. You know, the house was a mess and everything, and but we at least were alive and that was all good because they were showing TV clips like three blocks from where we lived. And my father apparently had mapped it out on a, a map saying, okay, that's a street corner by Brian's house that they're showing with a, you know, a place on fire, but we can't get a hold of them. So just the turmoil that causes. Oh yeah, there must have been. So yeah, I can imagine yeah. what it must have felt like. So it's kind of weird, but all right. So then we we get you out of New Orleans and we get you to the place where I met you. So I apologize for that. <laughs> that was great. I remember several conversations about that place. So the W Atlanta Midtown. Yeah, it was the Sheraton Colony Square, if I remember correctly. And and someone in there, Infinite Wisdom, decided I would go there and, and manage out the last few days of the Sheraton before we closed it and completely gutted it, which was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. But that hotel, as you know, I mean, pretty much uh, Noble ripped it to pieces, you know, took it back to bare concrete, you know, yeah. and, and spent a lot of money on it. And at the time, I think it was one of the largest W's if you mm-hmm. take into account the amount of meeting space it had. And, and I think it was close to 500 plus rooms and whatnot. I, I know the one in um, New York was bigger in room count, but I think this was much larger. So it was the first time we got into that group business space, which is a bit of a struggle for W because yep. we never sort of played in that zone before. But it was a good hotel. We, we partnered up with you know, Randy Gerber and, and had a couple of cool, cool bars and clubs. And uh, we had uh, the first Spice Market. 
of Jean Georges, which was another interesting concept. So yeah, I understand it's no longer a W. I think it's goodness knows what it is now. It's probably had a couple of renditions since then. Yeah, I was trying to think it converted to something, but yeah, I mean the the mm-hmm. W that lobby was so hard to make work yeah. with the whole thing. But I mean, I had fun reopening it. I mean, you know, yeah. I met you there, so that's all good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was great. Yep. I remember, yeah, I remember you and, and Alex rocking up, and yeah, it was great to be able to have a team. It's interesting, you know, later on, and you know talk about my career later those sort of that support on those teams didn't really exist outside of north america and you don't realize until you have that kind of support how you know much of a difference it makes so yeah well i i like to think we helped a lot of owners maximize their asset value and then just help the hotels open faster stronger better you could argue that for days probably with some of them but i think it was a good team to have i mean at one point we were 35 people on the team so because yeah. we were opening so many hotels then. But so, all right. So you're at Midtown for a couple of years and mm. then you don't move to New York. You don't move to, you know, Topeka, Kansas. You say, screw this. I'm going all the way back to Auckland, right? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah it, it is. But there's a bit of reason behind it. So my father at the time, about, I don't know, about a year before, then he got diagnosed with cancer and he was having a bit of a rough time. And I was wanting to get back there to spend some time with him. I'd met Sean Hunt, who is still currently working for Marriott, looking after this region. But I'd met him on on a leading Starwood course a few years before in in White Plains. And we stayed in contact and he just called me out of the blue. He said, hey, I've got an opportunity for a GM role at the Western in Auckland. Would you have any interest in coming home to do that? And, uh, you know, knowing what I needed to, to do in terms of my, my father, I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I, I'll definitely do it. But I, but I also knew that I didn't want to be in New Zealand for, for get stuck there. So I said, look, I'll do it for a couple of years and, and then we can see where we go from there. So everything worked out and I moved back to New Zealand, which was actually kind of cool because it was like being an expat in my own country. I was kind of weird because I knew I was going to leave and, you know, I, I was able to spend some quality time with my family and that all worked out. So yeah, it was a good couple of years being back actually. And then you took a really, I mean, so you're in New Zealand and you say, you know, I'm on a big enough island called New Zealand, but I think I need to be in the middle of the water a little bit more, right? So where do you go from Auckland, New Zealand to achieve that? You make it sound so great. You know, the guys in Singapore called me up from Starwood and said, hey, we want you to go to Maldives. And I said, hell, no way. You know, it wasn't by choice to start with because I heard people that go to the Maldives get stuck there and their careers die a painful death and all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, they had to drag me kicking and screaming. But I tell you what, when I agreed to it, it was probably one of the better experiences I've had. It was it was pretty cool. I go there. I was living at W, which is a bit rough, W Maldives. Mm. And yeah, don't, you don't have to feel sorry for me. Yeah, I don't. And, yeah, <laughs> and I had the Sheraton there. And there was a few other things going on. I think we just signed the deal for St. Regis there. There was a couple other side deals in Sri Lanka, which I was kind of overseeing as well. Um, so it was a great experience. I think it's one of those places on earth that, you know, pictures don't do it justice. It's, it is truly beautiful living there or being there. But I, but I think living on an island, it, it, yeah, it takes a different kind of skill set, and you learn very quickly that you're not just managing a resort; you're you're managing everybody, uh, you know, on the island. You know, the staff need leadership twenty four seven. So you're kind of like the mayor of the island, and uh, you got to keep everyone engaged. Otherwise, stuff happens. You know. Uh, well, and it, and everybody's watching you, right? I mean, 
everybody's watching. You, you can't go anywhere and do anything without everybody knowing. And and people always, you know, I tease you about Maldives and, and rightfully so, but I've, you know, I've talked to so many people about those people who have worked in resort destinations, the Caribbean, the Maldives, you know, Bora Bora, things of that nature. You know, if you've never been there or never worked in those environments, you think, oh, it's got to be amazing. They don't realize you're, you're really in a fishbowl because as the senior executive of the company there, everybody knows who you are. They watch you constantly. You never have a day off, truly, because no matter where you go, you're the area guy for Maldives, for Starwood. And, you know, if yep. you're on a boat going somewhere, they all know that. And, and there's no place where you can get away, right? Or do you, I guess you'd have to take time off and get away. Well, we found a little workaround that, Brian. So, you know, I have these, you know, these Hobie cats, right? These little boats you can sail. So on a Sunday afternoon or something like that, I grabbed maybe a couple of the other XCOM members and we would pack this thing full of beer and maybe take a little barbecue, we'd strap onto it somehow. We'd sail out to one of these sandbanks. So they're in the middle of nowhere. There's no one around and we'd have a little stereo system with us and we'd have a little barbecue out there and we would have some freedom for, for a couple of hours. So that was our workaround. But oh, other than that, yeah. Getting off the island was when, you know, sales trips and whatnot. Uh, that's the only time. Yeah. So when you're managing the W, well, not managing, but when you're living in the W and you're managing the W Maldives and what did you say, the Sheraton and then developing the St. Regis, mm-hmm. how do you get around? Like, are you traveling within the area or are you doing everything out of your office at the W? No, no, you're traveling within the area. You're taking a seaplane to those other locations or a boat, but seaplane is the easiest way to get around there. And of course, you know, we had deals with the seaplane companies because that's how our guests got there as well. Yeah. So if I were to travel to Sheraton, for example, you know, you could do that fairly easily. I could go there and back in a day, no problems, or, or I'd stay over there. If the GM was away, for example, you know, if, if she was, um, you know, taking vacation, then I'd go and base myself over there for, for two or three weeks while she was away. So yeah, it was fairly easy to, to get around within, within Maldives. Yeah. Okay. So... We could talk a whole hour on the Maldives and the tough life you had there. I'm sure, you know, it's just devastating. But the next move to me, I don't get. Ah, <laughs> okay, there's good. Because explain to the listener in Topeka, you went from Maldives to where? <laughs> to Utah. <laughs> yeah, to Salt Lake City, um, right? Yeah, Salt Lake City. So, okay, here's some reasoning behind it. I, I was... You know, I, I got to the point in the Maldives where I wanted the next opportunity. And if you remember back to, to around that time, you know, 2000, what would it have been, 2013-ish, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. you know, Starwood had sort of had consolidated, got rid of a lot of that sort of mid-level leadership position. They created these RVP roles, which were huge, you know, the 100, 100 yep. plus. And so, you know, what was next for me at Starwood? And, and I, I couldn't figure that out. So that was one reason. Second reason is we're about to have a child. And Maldives wasn't the place to, to do that. <laughs> and third reason, we missed the United States. We really did. And so a few people had left Starwood, as you probably know, and went to work for, for Wyndham. Yep. And, you know, a couple of those people suggested that I should go join them. And so it was a bit of a no-brainer. You ticked all those three boxes. It got me back to the U.S. It got me a promotion. And it was a great place to have a child, right? So, you know, Utah was an interesting place to live. That's for sure. You know, it was, it was great if you like the outdoors, which which I do. It's a little challenging socially. If you like to have a few drinks, it's probably not the place you want to be. Yep. But it was actually a pretty cool experience. And I was looking after the, the Rocky Mountain region. So I had everything sort of from Idaho 
through to, to Colorado and everything in between, which was beautiful country. And, you know, I'd gone from these island resorts to these mountain resorts. And I looked after, I don't know, it was maybe 20-ish properties. And I think they were, majority of them were ski resorts which was really interesting and different. And I hadn't done that in my career. So it was quite a, it was quite a cool experience and I don't regret doing that at all. Yeah. I just, I, the one thing I liked about Salt Lake city was the fact that you could get up to like deer Valley so Mm. easily. And, you know, when we opened the St. Regis, you know, you, sometimes we'd actually stay down in Salt Lake and just drive up to deer Valley for the day. I mean, it was such an easy drive going up and over and it's, uh, you know, at the weather's, I, I thought the weather was good there. And I just think it's funny, like, Hey, we need somebody to oversee our Rocky mountain resorts. Let's call a guy in. You know, like, how, does, how does that come about? <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, I think it was me probably more wanting to get out of there to be honest with you, but yeah. it, it worked out. It worked out. I know it's, it looks odd on paper, right? When you see it, well, you go from the Maldives to Salt Lake city, but it was a good experience and enjoyed it. And I was doing, I did it for maybe close to four years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then he went back to the mothership. I did. I got a call from, from Tina Edmondson, actually. And she'd said to me, Hey, would you like to come back to the new organization? I think she called it. And, you know, they just acquired Starwood at that time. And I, yeah, it was the right time for me. I, you know, I didn't see much happening at, uh, from a Wyndham perspective. And, you know, I knew Starwood pretty well. I think it's probably one of the reasons why they asked me to come back, actually, is because is I knew Starwood and Asia Pacific pretty well. I didn't have the emotional connection of getting, you know, acquired by Marriott. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't annoyed about that whole process, which yep. I know a lot of people were. So it, it was quite good. You know, Singapore was a great place to be based. And uh, yeah. That was kind of where I moved. So from, from Salt Lake to Singapore. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, truly a global career. I mean, I, there's a young lady who I had on the show earlier this season. I don't know if you ever met Simone Dooley's. Name rings a bell. Yeah. Absolutely. She was at the W New York and she's had like a, a GM's career that I, I joke with her that I'm a fanboy because she's had the GM career that I always wanted. She, you know, she grew up in Germany was down at the Four Seasons Newport Beach, then the West and South Coast Plaza, W New York, then Turnberry in Scotland, and then in Bratislava, and like all these really cool places that I've always wanted to live and work in. And of course, putts face me here, never got out of, you know, the United States and Canada. And so your career is the same way thing, right? I mean, international career in hotels, it's like awesome. And you've got some other than Salt Lake, no offense to my friends in Salt Lake, you've got some absolutely world-class destinations. So you go as a VP of ops, I think in, in Singapore, right? Yeah. Yeah. For VP of ops, yeah. For Marriott. It was interesting. It was a newly created role. And I, I think when I, when I got there and don't quote me on this, but I think it was around 200 and 50 hotels when I started. And when I left, it was about 400, 400 and 450. It was crazy. The growth there, phenomenal. So I was looking after operations in Asia Pacific, excluding China. So it was about 23 countries, everything sort of from Australia, New Zealand. So I had a little bit of connection to the homeland again, uh, all the way up to India and then across to Japan and Korea and everything in between. So it was, it was a really big region, but it was, it was amazing from my perspective just learning different cultures and working in these environments. And yeah, the travel piece was pretty intense, you know, easily 200 plus days a year traveling, but, yeah. but it was, it was a great team. Like I really, really enjoyed working with the team there and uh, yeah, we had a, an interesting time. That's for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, it's got to be fascinating. Just to your point, just all the different cultures that you get to interact with, the different types of people, and just seeing how things are done differently around the world with the same field of hospitality-driven, you know, sentiment. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. So, all right. So then from Singapore, we make a move to Frankfurt. We did. Yeah, we did. I feel like you're on this journey with me, Brian. I feel like I'm, we did this together, you know? I'm telling you, I <laughs> wish I had done that with you. I wasn't good enough to get all these big shot jobs. Yeah, it was good. So, so yeah, I got an opportunity to move across to Frankfurt and do a similar role with the one key word that was different. So I was a VP of operations for an APEC and I was VP of market operations in EMEA. So it was Europe, Middle East and Africa. And it was, again, a newly formed area because Marriott had sort of absorbed the Middle East region into to Europe, which created this massive, massive region. It was 76 countries, you know, around 480 hotels managed and probably about the same franchise-wise. So it was a big operation there. So from a market operations perspective, what was different is I had people in each one of these areas located in the market. So we were providing support within the market, which was a little bit different. It's similar in Asia, but a little bit more in, in detail, I guess, in this area. And that was quite cool because I never worked in Europe before, even though my, my surname is Dutch. My father is Dutch. Um, he migrated to New Zealand in the 50s. So I'd never been to Europe, been on vacation a couple of times, but I'd never spent any amount of time there. And I mm -hmm. certainly couldn't speak the language. So moving to, to Frankfurt was quite an eye-opener for sure. Now, did he have any family still living over there? Were you able <laughs> yeah. to reconnect or, or connect yeah. with them at all? You know, that's, that's funny. My dad was always big in family. And to answer your question, yeah, there was a bunch of families still in Holland, but my dad passed away about I don't know, five, six years ago. And, you know, and I'm terrible with keeping in touch with people. And I said I would and I didn't. So I figured I don't have much of an excuse if I'm living in a neighboring country, right? So I reached out to them. And for the short amount of time that I was in Europe, but we struck up a relationship. I got cousins the same age as me. And it was really cool. And I, and I wish I'd done it earlier, to be honest with you. So, yeah, it's, it was good. And I still stay in touch with them now. So there you go. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So, and then we get to this year, earlier this year. Yeah. It's, all, it's almost like it's come full circle, right? Young kid in the back of a kitchen with a chef getting a tour. Yeah. And now yeah. you get an opportunity to be CEO of New Zealand Hotel Holdings. Why don't yeah. you tell us, A, how that came about, and then tell us a little bit about New Zealand Hotel Holdings. Yeah, sure. So I, I'd been wanting to get back to New Zealand at some point. I always had it in the back of my mind that I'd like to come back here. And, you know, you alluded to it earlier on with opportunity. You know, there's not, there wasn't a great deal of opportunity in New Zealand, certainly in a, in a senior role with, with hotels. And, and I was, you know, I'd, I'd sort of been listening and, and seeing what was out there, but there wasn't a lot going. And I met a gentleman who had bought a couple of hotels here in New Zealand. In fact, one of them was was a Marriott property. It was the Four Points, Sheraton Four Points in Auckland. And when when he purchased it, um, we came across to do the opening of it, just to you know say hi and, and do all that sort of stuff. And I stayed in touch with him, and he'd bought a couple more hotels. And you know, and, and I said, you know, if, if, if jokingly said, if your hotel, if your company ever grows, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Well, lo and behold, he was pretty quick to develop these hotels and. 
he formed a partnership with New Zealand Super, which is which is the sovereign wealth fund of New Zealand. And they liked what he was doing as well, wanted a slice of the action in terms of investing into tourism assets within New Zealand with the view for long-term investment, not, not to flip these things, but to buy quality hotels and, and improve them, and in some cases expand on them, and, and quite a, an aggressive growth strategy as well. So fast forward to where I am now and the opportunity that I took on, a new company was formed, which is New Zealand Hotel Holdings, of which I'm the CEO of. And this company now is comprised of the New Zealand Superfund, the Russell Property Group, which is the gentleman that I mentioned earlier on, and, and the Lockwood Property Group, which is another private investor as well. So it's quite good. It's got really good structure, good backing, given the fact that it's got sovereign funds. And we, and we really look out for good investments that make sense. Quality assets, like I said, we've got operators in all of our hotels. We work with Accor, Marriott, Event, which is you know, QT and Ridges. It's quite a localized brand. And then another smaller smaller brand, um, TFE. So, so it's, been, it's been quite good because obviously I've known Marriott and I understand Marriott fairly well. But it's been interesting learning about Accor and, and, and having a look underneath the hood on, on Accor's contracts and things like that. So yeah, it's been interesting. And only been into the job about five, six weeks now. And last week there was a hotel investors conference in, in Sydney, which I went across to which was a really good timing for me because I could sort of meet a lot of these operators for the first time from a senior leadership standpoint. And it was amazing the amount of ex-Starwood people and, and married people that I'd run into there. So, you know, the industry is very small and, and here I am full circle back in New Zealand. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is you're a young guy to begin with. And, you know, now you're given the opportunity to learn from the ownership side, right? And the asset management side versus being always on the operator side. So that in and of itself should keep you busy for a couple of years as you learn the real estate side of it and all of that. Absolutely. It's a huge learning curve for me, to be very honest. You know, I mean, I hadn't really, you know, being on the operations side, never really delved into, you know, investment and learning about, you know, cap rates and, and all that sort of stuff. You know, I heard Tiffany on your podcast before, I and mean, that's that's in her wheelhouse, right? But yeah, but for me, it's it's a huge learning curve. So it's been really, really good. And, and you're right. I'm certainly super excited about it. Well, that's cool. Well, listen, you, you've had an incredible journey. And I mean, I couldn't be more happy for you. Like I said, we got to know each other pretty well at the the lovely shirt and colonies or whatever it was, or, you know, W Atlanta Midtown, whatever the heck we called it. But exactly. so to see you go from there to where you are now and, and the exotic locations and everything has been fantastic. So couldn't be happier for you. And, but, you know, as we always say, it is Tuesday. So I think today, now is a good time for us to segue into giving you the microphone to thank some of those individuals that have made a positive impact on your career and your life along the way. So Young man, the microphone is yours. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Look, and there's so many, and I'll probably miss a bunch, but but I, you know, knowing I was coming on your podcast, I wrote down a few names that that sort of stood out to me. And I apologize if I missed a few people, but <laughs> early on in my career, I, I think one person that really stands out is, is my brother-in-law, actually, Richard Hall. You know, he really did a good job of mentoring me. He's quite senior in the travel business back then and the airline business and, and really helped me get into the hotel business. And I'd always and still to this day, you know, bounce ideas off him. So Richard, my first GM at Sheraton was a guy by the name of John Henderson. And he was the epitome of a perfect GM. And, you know, without digressing, one of the things that he used to do every single night, and I still remember this as a houseman, he would find the employees in the hotel and say goodnight to them. So I'd be mopping the floor in a back corridor somewhere. And he'd be like, goodnight, Marcus. 
And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow, that's pretty cool for a GM to do that. And, you know, I'm like, I want to be like him when I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> so John Anderson. Next one you might be surprised about, and you might remember the name. Do you remember a guy called Kevin Koslowski? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Kevin was the guy that I was telling you about that came to Sydney and, and like what I did and, and suggested I come to San Francisco. So big, oh, shout, wow. big shout out to Kevin. He had a bit of belief there. Chronological order here. Moving into the San Francisco days, Jim McPartland. You know, I think yeah, Jim keeps coming up on your calls as a name that, that uh, keeps getting mentioned. But Jim probably opened my eyes into, you know, the self-insight process and starting to realize a little bit about me and who I am and all that sort of stuff, which which helped me tremendously in my career. And I know he was very instrumental in getting me into my first GM role as well. And and at the same time, Carla Murray, who, again, has been on your, on your call, Carla was, you know, just... She's such a true professional and I learned a lot from just watching her and observing her and the fact that she she took an interest in my career as well was was huge. So Carla, and then in New Orleans, Mr. Kevin Reagan, again, another name you'll be familiar with. Kevin was just awesome guy to work with, especially during Hurricane Katrina. He really took yeah. an amazing leadership role and, you know, I can't thank him enough for that. So, so Kevin, for sure. Tina Edmondson, like I mentioned, you know, I've been, I've known Tina for a very long time. Tina, not only, you know, work, I work with her at W, but also obviously most recently with Marriott and she, she's got a great job with Marriott, does a fantastic job. And, you know, I'll, I'll still continue to bounce stuff off of Tina. And then, and Raj Menon was instrumental in my career in Asia Pacific. Raj is the president of Marriott for, for APEC. I just saw him last week at the conference as well. So another great guy I'm thankful for. And then, and like I mentioned, the, the guy I'm working with here, so Brett Russell, who, who saw something in me and got me over here. So that's my Tuesday. Thanks, Brian. And I appreciate you letting me uh, do that. Oh, my pleasure. That's a fantastic list. Yeah, there's a lot of people on there, obviously, that you and I have shared a time with. And those are some great individuals. Carla, Jim. Jim McPartland's a little bit of a legend on all of this stuff. He, you know, he posted something you know, there's this thing going around the internet these days about you have a doppelganger somewhere. And if you do, there's a good chance that your DNA is part of it, right? So he posted something on there. And for the listener in Topeka, Kansas, Jim McPartland is a splitting image um, for what's his name on CNN, Anderson Anderson. Cooper. And I've always teased him about that. So I saw Jim post this thing and I just threw something on there. Gee, Jim, I wonder who your doppelganger could be. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't but, say that, Brian. It would go straight to his head. I, oh. I it goes straight to his head. So don't, uh, don't even say that to him. Yeah, I've been saying it for years. But And Carla Murray, she was such a great guest on the show and just a fantastic human being and a, oh, and a great is. mentor. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, well, this is an amazing list. Well, listen, I, you know, you're in New Zealand. I'm in Connecticut. We're probably a day apart in time. I don't even know what time of day it is there, but I can't thank you enough for jumping on. It's been fantastic to reconnect. So thank you so much. And as I always end the show, if it's Tuesday, people, let's get out there and thank some people. You're going to feel good doing it and they're going to love being thanked for it. So again, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. And as we spoke off line there maybe in the next year or so i'll get down there on a golf tournament absolutely we'd love to see you down here brian i'll show you a good time down here in kiwi land perfect thanks marcus all right buddy thanks good connecting hope you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it 
If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.